And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, and ladies and gents, it's the final preview. And so on. Yes, the final (laughs) installment of our 2023 World Cup previews brings us to Group H. It contains four national teams, and the names of the national teams are Germany, Morocco, Colombia, and South Korea. The more socially acceptable Korea? Can I say that? Just did. Anyway, my name's Ryan Bailey. Welcome to the show. Joining me today, we have your friend and mine, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Of the four nations I just mentioned, Tay-Tay, which one will you be telling us about today? I will be previewing Morocco, and I'm saying this up front, get ready, because my hype is big for Morocco. I am very excited uh, for them for this World Cup and for World Cups to come, because I think they're going to be good for a while. Ooh, legacy Mm. being started here in Australia, New Zealand. I'll also also say, uh, I've said this probably several other times on the show, but I learned this from a Korean diplomat. Uh, You know what South Korea does not call themselves? South Korea. They don't really want to recognize the other one, so they are the Korea, and they will tell you that very directly. Mm. So hang on, does North Korea call itself the People's Republic of North Korea? The Democratic People's Republic of North Korea, yeah. It's one of those things where the more of those words you put in front, the more worrying it becomes. Like the Freedom Democratic People's Republic of Freedom China. Then you're like, like, why do you you need to specify freedom is the (laughs) the real question. Why do you need to do it twice? (laughs) Yes. I like the Korea, like the Facebook. Eventually, it's cleaner that way. <laughs> we are literally hemorrhaging listeners in North Korea right now, so let's move on. Uh, <laughs> joining us, Graham Rutherford. Hello, Graham. Which of these four teams you're going to be previewing for us? Hello, Ryan Bailey. So I am previewing Colombia today, and finally, in my last preview, I've got myself a good nickname here. So Colombia are dubbed Las Chicas Super Super Poderosas, which translates as the Powerpuff Girls, which is obviously amazing. Now, as far as I could see, there's some debate over why they're actually called this, but it appears to reg- originate from a TV commercial that ran in Colombia a number of years ago, which had the Powerpuff Girls alongside some national team players. So I love that explanation. I have to provide a caveat. Um, I found that explanation on Reddit. So take that with a pinch of salt. On all reputable sites, I couldn't find anything, which was desperately disappointing. So if anyone has an official explanation, please let me know. Nonetheless, great nickname. I like this team already. One more time in Spanish, please, Graham. The Chicas. No. No? No? Las Chicas Super Poderosas. Nice, Graham. Good job. I like it. Very good. Powerpuff Girls. That's that's the contender for the best one yet, right? And we've saved it till last. Along with the Copper Queens, I think. I wasn't going to say it, but everybody knew it deep down in their hearts. There we go. Joining us, you just heard his voice, Mr. Joe Lowry. Joseph, uh, von welchem team speaks to heute? Yeah, so I'm going to assume that means what team do you have? And I've got Germany, of course. DFB Frauen team or Die National Elf? I definitely butchered both of those. The I National would Elf. That. 
Let's die, do it. National Elf, die. <laughs> I know Ryan's here, and Ryan, elf. <laughs> Ryan speaks German. Um, those translate to uh, the DFB women's team and the National Eleven. So not, not a lot of creativity here coming with these nicknames, but I'm confident that I've got something better coming up shortly. Thank you, Joe. I did intro you, you in German because I know you're very thorough. I assumed you'd actually learnt German for this episode alone. I, I've learned every word, all the words except for the ones you used. Um, <laughs> that was maybe an oversight on my part, but you know what? I got to live with it. You do. You do indeed. All right. The team I'm previewing is the one we haven't, well, we have mentioned them. It's South Korea or Korea or the, 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 the it's that one. Uh, their nickname is Tejuk Nanja, which translates to the ultimate ladies, which is pretty cool. It's no Powerpuff Girls, but it's up there, I would say. Yeah, that's a good the one. Ultimate ladies. Uh, why don't we go around the horn and assign TSS nicknames for mm-hmm. each of these teams? Taylor, you've given me an mm-hmm because you're very yeah. excited about this Morocco team. I think this is going to be a doozy. I, I am indeed. Uh, I did not give you their actual nickname up front. I'm going to say three out of four for very good nicknames because I enjoyed Colombia's, I enjoyed Korea's, and I enjoy Morocco's, which is the lionesses of Atlas or the Atlas lionesses, the Atlas mountain range running through Morocco. Uh, the, li- the mountain lions live in there. So uh, that's where that comes from. But I am naming them the field trip. Because what do you have on a field trip? You have a bunch of kids and some chaperones. And this <laughs> Morocco team has six players over the age of 30, two of whom are goalkeepers. Uh, you've got a, a four or so players between the ages of 26 and 28. And then everyone else is very, very, very young, including a couple teenagers, uh, five players under the age of 21 in there. So it's a lot of veterans, or it's a few veterans and then a lot of youngsters. And there is a reason for this age disparity. It's because Morocco specifically targeted the development of the women's game starting around August of 2020. I'm going to give you a somewhat lengthy history here, so buckle up for that one. Basically, the Moroccan FA rolls out their four-year plan for the development of the women's game with the goal of becoming a dominant force in women's soccer in Africa and especially in North Africa. To do that, they established a two-division league structure with promotion relegation. They established a U-17 youth national championship as well as regional competitions uh, to go along with them. They provided annual funding grants to teams in both divisions. If you're in the top division, it's around $12.5 million per team. In the second division, it's $8.3 million uh, per team. Uh, they increased The goal was to increase the number of women and girls playing to 90,000 by 2024. And the overall short-term goal was just to qualify for the 2022 Africa Women's Cup of Nations for the first time since 2000. So the goal was to qualify for the continental competition, which they then did and almost won. They went to the final. They were eliminated by South Africa, as Joe talked about on yesterday's episode. But you're already seeing how much progress they have made. In that competition, they topped their group, three wins versus Senegal, Burkina Faso, and Uganda. They beat Botswana in the quarterfinals, Nigeria on penalties in the semis. Kind of... Uh, an interesting game there. I think Nigeria got two red cards. They win on penalties. Uh, they weren't sure they'd even won on penalties, but they did. They lose 2-1 to one to South Africa in the final, but because top four automatically qualify out of Africa, uh, they get to go to the World Cup. Their first time in only three attempts at qualification in the history of their program. Uh, I'll be going more into how much their program has come on and the things that they have done to make that happen as we go through coach and tactics and players. But they're a really fascinating story for how quickly they've been able to fund and develop the domestic game. And the progress that's been made is pretty fascinating in terms of club, in terms of the national team, in terms of individual talents, and in terms of their manager. 
I and like Taylor, the, the moment that sorry Ryan the moment that Morocco qualified for yeah. this tournament went pretty pretty viral I think it's fair to say can you yes. tell us what happened there yeah, so they're in the penalty shootout. First of all, laser pointers abound. Uh, they were the host nation, so uh, a little bit of shame for Morocco supporters. But they're... it was laser pointer night that night, to be fair. Oh, yeah, that's, that is always a, a mistake, I think, when teams yeah. do that. It's Tencent beer night, uh, disco destruction night, and laser pointer night never go well. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, uh, Rosella Yanni, uh, who is their main goal-scoring option, she was their fifth penalty taker, which is always interesting when your best goal scorer goes fifth. Do they want the glory, or do they not want to have to take one, maybe? In this case, she did have to take one. Nigeria had already missed one at that point. And so I guess there was confusion as to whether or not she asked the official, uh, Graham, feel free to fact check me here. Basically, she asked the official, like, if I score this, do we win? And I guess the answer got, I was either incorrect from the official yeah. or got lost somewhere. Yeah. So she scores and sort of has very little response. And to be fair, every single one of her teammates when they score all had a little celebration, a little dance they did when they scored. She just sort of turns around and then looks around like, what, why are you guys all running towards me? Uh, and then I think it dawns on her. But watching that game, I was sort of like, oh, here we go. I can't wait for the big moment when they realize like they're going to the final it's very anticlimactic, and they kind of don't know who to celebrate with as a result. So some celebrate with her, some celebrate in little pockets, some celebrate with the goalkeeper. But in the end, they get to celebrate that, if not winning the whole thing, because South Africa, were spoil sports. Shame on South Africa. I like the idea that uh, she went up to the official to say, if we score, do we win? And the official was like, I'm, I'm not getting paid enough for that information. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe don't yes, know. maybe no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd also say that I do like that it was a four-year plan to get Morocco on top. Uh, they looked at the German 10-year plan for the men's team, famously, yeah. to get them to win the World Cup. They went, eh, we'll do it in four. I like that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even to get to the World Cup, though. It was just to mm. qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations, which yeah. is the thing they hadn't done in 20 years. And then they <laughs> qualified and almost won it and are now at a World Cup. And I think are a little bit like, oh, we are we are ahead of where we plan to be. Hopefully this does not come back to bite us. Spoiler alert, I don't think it will. Good, 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 good. Uh, Graham, you have a very good nickname to live up to with your TSS nickname, sir. I don't think I can live up to the Powerpuff Girls as a nickname. So my TSS nickname for Colombia is the Come the Ball Chaos Merchants. Merchants. I think this team will be wild. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I'll leave that detail until the tactics segment. This will be Colombia's third Women's World Cup after qualifying in 2011 and 2015. They missed out on the 2019 World Cup, so it's been eight years since they were last at this level. In 2015, they made it to the round of 16 before they were knocked out by eventual winners of the USA. Um, no shame in that, of course. In 2015, they beat France in the group stage, which is the most famous result in Colombia, uh, Colombian women's national team history. And at that time, a lot of people thought that would be a marker for the country and they would build on that. And that hasn't really happened today. As I mentioned, they didn't qualify for the 2019 World Cup. So there was a missed opportunity there. But there is plenty reason for Colombia to be positive right now. They made the final of the Copa America, which they hosted last year where they lost to Brazil, who I also previewed. They've won eight of the last nine Copa Americas. So again, no shame in that result. They come into this tournament on the back of some decent friendly results against Nigeria and Panama. They lost 5-2 to France earlier this year. But that's France. That can happen against a team of that quality. Colombia do have a good number of exciting young players coming through, some of whom I will list later on. But they also have a number of experienced heads who have played at World Cups before. So there is a sense that 
this team is in a bit of a generational transition. They're building for the future. And maybe it comes a little bit early for this Columbia team, even though they have some experience. It feels like they're building towards something. Um, and maybe they're not quite there yet. They were due to play at the Central American and Caribbean Games this summer, but they had to withdraw because of their involvement in this World Cup. I think another tournament like that might have done them some good because I still get the sense that this this group is quite green and I do wonder how they'll handle tournament football at this level. Um, so that's my story of the team for Colombia. I think in terms of the way that their fixtures have been drawn for this tournament, there's going to be so much riding on the outcome of their matches against South Korea and Morocco, particularly that South Korea match, which they start the tournament with. I think if they get a good result in that match, then potentially Colombia could be on their way in this group, although that game against Morocco is going to be a challenging one as well. Mm. And then a free hit against Germany. Fun times. Fun times. Great. Indeed. Hey, Germany lost to uh, Zambia, who, yeah, who um, Joe previewed <laughs> and said, well, your TLDR of Zambia where it was a bit wild, fun, score lots of goals, entertaining to watch, right? That was kind of the yep. TLDR. Yeah. That's essentially Columbia as well. So maybe they just copy what Zambia did. Marvelous That's stuff. a logical thing to do. But it, sorry, Graham, they both can't be the world's eighth largest producer of copper. So one of them has to be trailing here. I don't know who Look it, it is, but I would assume Look it's it Columbia. This is where I Google it and Columbia is seventh. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I will leave if that's the case. Like, I, I'm done if, that, if that's actually true. All right. Before you head out, Joe, tell us a bit about Germany and the nickname you have assigned them. All right. So I have given Germany the nickname uh, the Daft Punk Lovers. So as far as I know, there is no actual love for Daft Punk <laughs> in the German national team. Ryan is now like a little closer to his camera and a I little more ponderous. Than I, have a feeling, I have a feeling that at least two of your co-hosts are frantically Googling world's largest copper producers <laughs> to try to find out <laughs> where people rank. Sorry, Joe, continue. <laughs> continue um, talking about the French, famously French uh, duo Daft Punk. Are you Joe, a fan, do, Ryan? Because I'll be honest, I I'm didn't know fan. much about Daft, Com Daft yeah. Punk before I, I started. All right, I know they're from the 90s. That's, that's about most of what they I are. Know. Um, so are you telling I, us your team wear helmets while they're while they play, Joe? Is that yeah? What's it's going it's on super here? interesting. I mean, I don't know exactly why that started, but yeah, it, it is the thing. No, as far <laughs> as I know, there's no actual love for Daft Punk in the German national team. But do they love Daft Punk Stadium? Absolutely. Some may call it Drive Pink Stadium. Others may call it Derv Pink Stadium. But here that? on TSS, we have started calling the stadium where Inter Miami play their home games and where Germany beat the U.S. in November by a two-one scoreline. Daft Punk Stadium. They will be hoping, Germany, for a similar result at this tournament, obviously. They're going to, I assume, they've already packed and they've brought some like leftover grass clippings or, or dust or, I don't know, maybe just memories from that win over the U.S. in Miami at Daft Punk Stadium. That is a big story right now for Germany. They're second in the FIFA rankings, even though they have stumbled, like a number of other top contenders right before this competition. They are, are one of the teams that has a real shot to actually go and win this thing. And that might involve taking down the U.S. in the process. It, it might not. But either way, that win does demonstrate their ability as a team. So Germany got here by finishing on top of group, group H in UEFA qualifying. They won nine games and finished with a plus 42 goal differential. This German team does not miss World Cups. They've been to all eight in the past. They've won two of them back in 2003 and 2007. They've never finished worse than the quarterfinals, which is where they ended up back in 2019 they're here to compete. Like this is this is a real deal kind of team. They're clearly in the top tier of national teams right now, along with the US and a couple of other European countries. Legitimate world-class talent in a lot of spots, maybe not every spot, but a lot of spots 
expectations should be high, but at the same time, they have not had a great run-in to this World Cup. You mentioned that loss to Zambia. They lost 2-1 to Brazil. That game was back in April. Then they beat Vietnam 2-1 recently with a rotated 11, but that's a, a pretty narrow margin of victory there. And then they lost to Zambia, the World Cup's most fun team and best team ever. And that game was a German team with a pretty full-strength lineup. There was some suspect defending in that game. Zambia are really good in the attack, to be to be honest. But Germany go down 2-0, then fight back to 2-2 in second-half stoppage time. Like, they scored two goals, Germany, after the 90th minute to bring back level. And then they let Banda score one on the break to win it at the death for Zambia. It was an awesome game. Like, if, if you can at least go back and watch the highlights, I would do that. But even Germany, with the reputation that I think German soccer has and as good as this team is, they are not immune to some chaos, which does make them fun. But they are 100% among the favorites here. They are indeed. Thank you very much, Joe. I shall give my nickname for the South Koreans, the Tejuk Nanja, the ultimate ladies. Um, have you heard of K-pop? Graham, I know you're a massive Blackpink fan. There's no shame in that. You actually oh, call yeah. the Inter-Miami um, Stadium Blackpink Stadium, don't you? Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Just to my other friends, my big K-pop friends. We've got a K-pop group chat. That's what I call that stadium. Yeah, big BTS fan. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, this team isn't K-pop. They're K-stop at the round of 16. They are K-stop at the round of 16, everybody. I think they're good enough to get results. Yeah, I deserve it. I was, I was hoping we'd all just stay silent, to be honest. Fine, fine. That, yeah, yeah, I boo fine. that more than I boo tennis. <laughs> oh, tough crowd, tough crowd. Uh, it's good enough to get results. This is this team against, uh, I think, Morocco and Colombia. Good enough to get out in second place. The top two in this group are likely to face France or Brazil in this one. Likely France for the second place team here. I think the buck stops there. Round of 16 is their best ever placing in this competition. They got that in 2015. But you know, Graham, I won't have a case drop if they case stop at the round of 16. No, they no. have a decent K crop of players. I won't consider them a K-flop. Whose coach deserves the K-chop? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Ryan, I'm going to K-murder you if you keep this going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to how the uh, the K-stop of the round 16s got to this contest. By the way, the first women's games happened in Seoul back in 1949, but things kicked off, according to my research, at the 99 World Cup, a big turning point for the nation as global interest in the women's sport peaked. The South Korean Ministry in Charge of Sports sponsored the foundation of new teams and tournaments for girls, high school teams, university teams, and company teams just after that World Cup. And in 2001, the Korea Women's Football Federation was established, the KWFF, which sounds like a NBC affiliate in like Idaho or something. The KWFF. This is their fourth World Cup. They were in 2003, 2015 and 2019. They've got out of the groups once in 2015. As I mentioned earlier, they were defeated by France at that point in the round of 16. In 2019, they were eliminated with zero points. Oh boy. They qualified for this one as the 2022 AFC Women's Champion. Uh, the Women's Asian Cup Finals, excuse me. They lost that cup final to China. Um, 2023 has been a bit of a mixed year for this team. They entered the uh, the Arnold Clark Cup in England in February. They lost every game in that as well, including a 4-0 drubbing at the hands of England. But, Joe, they won their last three games going into this, including a two-game series against Zambia. They got a 5-2 win and a 5-0 win, 10-2 aggregate over the one of the largest, I understand, I don't know if this has been mentioned, but they're one of the largest <laughs> copper producers 
in the world. Um, I won't stand for it. I won't for stand now. for it. For, no. no, what do you mean for now? No. Well, Colombia is coming for you. Colombia is aiming to increase copper exports up to 100,000 tons Stop. per year. Stop it. Yeah. They're, they're on their way, the list. Joe. Yeah, they're, they're on their way. 33. Wake me up when they get to the teens, guys. Uh, the thing is, <laughs> Zambia's fallen from fifth to eight in the last three years. So, you know. That also, is, how is how, Democratic Republic of Congo is fourth? I feel like they should maybe be the copper queens if anybody, no, any African team gets that one. I don't know. I don't know. All right. No. This seems like a good point to take a break. When we come back, sure? we're going to talk about. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think we can go off and get into copper chat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's save it for the break, Tater. How about that? When we come back, we're going to talk uh, coaches and tic tacs and all that wonderful stuff. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Joe is drinking from a giant water thing. Joe, that looked like it was the size of a bucket you were just drinking from there. It is gigantic. It's very, very large. This is the one that you all thought was just a milk jug. And I, I informed you all that they do make white water bottles. So this is that one. Wow. Wow. It's I white water use bottle filled with milk, though. <laughs> they could use that <laughs> in stadiums for, like, water supplies and stuff, like, for the whole stadium. Very impressive stuff. Anyway, we're already off topic. Joe, why don't you start off talking about the coach of your chosen team, Zajanans? Oh, Graham, that got me real good. I like that a lot. All right. Martina Voss-Tecklenburg, uh, excuse me. 54-year-old German manager, more than 100 caps for Germany as a player, has played at three World Cups before, coached in Germany at the club level, then coached Switzerland for a number of years, has now been in charge of Germany since 2019. She recently signed a contract extension through the 2025 Euros, so Germany are, are clearly very pleased with how things have been going, and they should be, right? This is a team 
that has a, a clear identity. I think Voss Tecklenburg has, has done a good job of integrating players and combining key players to maximize results for this club, for the, for this country, excuse me. Probably the better team, thinking back to the Euros last summer, which feels like an eternity ago, not at all like a year ago, but they were probably the better team in that final against England. Remember, if, uh, if folks do remember, Alexander Pop, who is the number nine for this team, although there, there are a ton of other talented attackers and even other number nines that have quality in this German group. She was injured and, and wasn't able to play, even though that was the expectation. And so Germany entered that game without one of their most important players. And still, I thought, on the balance, were maybe the stronger side. They at least weren't, weren't played off the field by England by any stretch of the imagination. So you know, I, I think there's a lot to like about this German group tactically. They're very aggressive. They're energetic. They're fun to watch. They've got a bunch of talent. Those are all buzzwords, though, so let me explain why they actually apply in a real way for Germany. So they're often in this 4-1-4-1 shape, maybe bits of 4-2-3-1 in there. They're very fluid in how they actually possess players popping up in different spots, a good mix of skill sets in this team. Lena Oberdorf, who I'll go on to talk a decent bit more about later on, she is going to eat up everything at the base of midfield. And you can tell that she is so important to this team that likes to press high. They're a very good pressing team, very energetic and that's, I think, why that particular buzzword fits, is they, they try to engage the ball as often as they can. Forwards try to funnel the ball towards just half of the field, so they'll try to cut the field in half and really cut off access to the weak side with the timing of their pressing runs and, and their body positioning to keep the cover shadow behind them. In attack, they'll keep the ball as much as they need to, basically. That's how I would describe this group. So against bunker teams, they will obviously have to keep possession and try to break them down, and they have the quality to do so. Against teams that are going to play a little bit more open, Germany like to go. Like, they want to play more vertically. They want to play quicker. They want to play a little bit more direct. At times, that can look chaotic with Germany bypassing the midfield entirely and maybe playing right into pop as that number nine. But that direct play you know, does work for this team a lot because they have Lena Oberdorf sweeping up to, to take care of stuff. So, Alm Arvind, who does a lot of good coverage of women's soccer uh, for a number of different folks around the internet... He wrote a good piece about Oberdorf during the Euros, basically saying how Oberdorf allows Germany to pass without fear. In another moment where a team might be afraid to play that vertical pass because they don't have the structure to win the second ball or they don't have the, the real bite in midfield to win the ball back if it doesn't work, Germany, you know, maybe against a team like Zambia, legitimately, I know I've kind of developed this rep as like the, the Zambia lovers, but against a team like Zambia that has three or four top, top-end attacking talents, it gets difficult, but Oberdorf does the lion's share of that work in midfield. You know, I think that idea from, from Alm is really good in that moment about how Oberdorf allows them to pass without fear. She's a superstar, and, and within this team, Germany are much better off for having her on the field. Their wingers can afford to be a bit more direct. They can afford to press a bit more aggressively. She just eats stuff up. Taylor, I know you love Tyler Adams. And I'm optimistic that throughout this tournament, and I, I'm, I'm guessing this process maybe started for you during the Euros as well, but like the more that we all watch Oberdorf, I think the yeah. more we're all going to love watching her play. I'll get on to, to more about her and some specifics later on, but that's the nuts and bolts of Germany. Aggressive, they want to be in your face, they're going to be one of the more dominant teams in this competition in every phase. They're going to try to, to run players and wingers in behind the back line. They've got dribblers, and they've got a really dangerous target number nine in Pop, who can do basically a bit of everything and is a real goal scoring threat this is a fun group k-pop mm. <laughs> um, what if you say alexandra pop joe um graham and i are obviously, obviously thinking of alexander pop the very popular german tennis player as well, as well. Yeah. maybe just me yeah 
no, yeah, no just, just you. I was thinking of the like very successful and uh, prolific German striker. Yeah, that was... did did somebody say Tyler Adams? I heard Tyler Adams <laughs> mentioned earlier. <laughs> now, Taylor, when I mentioned um, uh, Korea as the round of sixteen likely contenders, yeah, uh, you you were boo earnsing all over the place, and you yeah, made me doubt my position. As, uh, no, I think I think it was less fair. the message. I think it was less the conclusion you drew, and more about how you got us there, right? A little bit. <laughs> okay, it, it may be fair. Maybe both paths are true. But Taylor, no, it was just it was the Morocco erasure that I w- I won't right. stand for. Uh, no, I mean I think I think it's it is pretty wide open, and I would say Morocco would be very much the underdogs in terms of making it out of this one. Uh, maybe Colombia on that list as well. But as I said, I'm pretty hyped about Morocco. I don't know if I'm just buying into the hype or if that hype is justified. Uh, but a huge part of that is their manager, Reynal Michel Sebastian Pedros, or Reynal Pedros, a uh, 51-year-old former professional who played 25 games for France, won league on with Nice and made it to the Champions League semifinals. I do not remember him as a player, if I'm being totally honest, but... A lot of what is written about him focuses on him missing a penalty at Euro 96. It was the penalty that eliminated France uh, at the hands of the Czech Republic. He sort of bore the brunt of the blame for that elimination. He was booed in his next friendly match for France. He only made one more appearance for France and then never played for them again. And so uh, there was some sort of perception that that win, that penalty shootout win uh, from Morocco over Nigeria was him sort of getting like a, a second chance with his team winning a penalty shootout. He did look very nervous on the bench. He was just sitting there sort of staring off, I think, trying not to react too much. But uh, I think that was a pretty big moment for him, though he is a manager who has had several big moments uh, because prior to managing Morocco, he managed Lyon, who are quite good. Uh, he managed them from 2017 to 2019, and in that time won the league twice, and he won the Champions League twice. Uh, that is pretty good, even with the resources that Lyon have to win the league and the Champions League. Uh, he then walks away uh, by mutual consent, but it sounds like he was ready for the next challenge. So that challenge was Morocco. And in that way, it's a bit like if Pep Guardiola had stepped down from Barcelona and then taken over the Moroccan men's team. And I think we'd look at that like, wow, that's that's a big jump. And I'm going to assume there's a big paycheck that factors into that decision for Pedros. But here he is managing Morocco. He brings this name recognition. He brings this winning pedigree. And he brought with him a lot of dual nationals. Uh, basically, he takes over in 2020. Again, it's part of that plan to develop the game. Ryan is now rubbing his face because he realizes how wrong he was about <laughs> South Korea and Morocco uh, being the champions. After his appointment, uh, Rosella Ayani, uh, we mentioned her. She was uh, born in England. She uh, makes her debut from Morocco. So do, uh, does uh, Rakia Mazraoui, who was eligible for the Netherlands. Yasmin Mrabat uh, from Spain. Saba Seguir of France. Uh, Sabina Uzraoui-Diki from Belgium. Nesrine El-Chad from France. A lot of dual nationals all make their debut in 2021. Uh, and then that continues into 2022. Anissa Lamari, who's in this squad, was only capped a couple months ago. She was eligible for both France and Algeria. So they've gotten all these dual nationals coming in, again, very similar to the men's side of the program. But it's also a lot of young players who developed domestically 
also coming into the fold, uh, which creates a very interesting and exciting team with a lot of talent. Uh, they've played a few different formations, uh, but a back four is most likely. My guess is that it looks like a 4-2-3-1 when they're building out, and then a 4-2-4 as they get into more advanced positions or around midfield. Uh, Ghislaine Shabak and El- Elodie, or Elodie uh, Nakach will be the two deeper midfielders. Salma Almani uh, will be the more advanced playmaker. She is one of those uh, 30-plus-year-olds in the team. Uh, she combines really well with Rosella Ayani. Uh, fullbacks make very aggressive runs, especially on the right hand side Zineb Radwani uh, on the right side as the right fullback gets very forward very aggressively very Atraf Hakimi if you want to continue the Morocco comparison uh, the wingers then will move more centrally, so you get overloads in the middle. You get fullbacks wide facilitating attacking play. You have center backs who are calm on the ball, good in vertical distribution. Uh, and that is a, a big feature of their game is the right center back playing it down the line uh, for the fullback to run onto. That fullback, again, likely to be Redwani. Uh, defensively, it's more like a 4-4-2 mid-block. The main thing I saw watching Morocco is that they're really similar to Argentina in that they, I think they're a little bit better with the ball at times. Uh, very good combination play that oftentimes looks next level. Like you'll see them do a sequence of seven passes that are all one and two touch through the middle, and then they'll spring it out wide. And then the cross is overhit out of bounds, or it's a really good sequence. And then that vertical ball is overhit 40 yards. There's just that final product that is lacking. So they don't create as many high percentage chances. That's a recurring thing with a lot of the teams I've talked about in these previews. They can score goals when they position themselves higher up, when they press and when they really effectively counter. That seems to be a, a big aspect of how they want to play such that when they do force that turnover, when they, when they get that ball high, it is very direct to goal very quickly. They will flood with numbers when they win it back higher up the pitch, but if they don't, then they'll drop off and sort of look to contain established possession and then try to build out. But I don't think you're going to see as many sort of sweeping possession moves from the back all the way up and leading to a goal. I feel like if they score, when they score, it will be rapid fire counterattacks off of a turnover, maybe some set pieces and most likely some sort of low driven crosses into the box from out wide. Uh, And that is where some of my key players will factor, but we'll talk about them later on. We shall do Taylor. Thank you very much for that. May I jump in and explain uh, the Koreans who are going to finish second? above this team <laughs> you may. in Group H. Thank you very much. I think much of that credit, if it does happen, will be down to their coach, Colin Bell. Colin Bell, not the Man City legend of the 60s and 70s, who passed away in 2021. If you've been to Yetihad Stadium, by the way, he has a stand named after him behind the goal, the, the bell end, if you will. Uh, this isn't him. This is a uh, former Leicester defender, Colin Bell, who's a little younger. He's 61, but he looks really good for it. If you are listening, look him up. He looks like a kind of cross between Arlo White and Tim Sherwood. It's it, it's better when you see it, trust me. Um, spent most of his career playing in Germany at Mainz. Uh, he's been coaching uh, for, oh, since um, since uh, two decades, basically, mostly in Germany in the men's and women's game. Uh, his Frankfurt side won the Frauen Pokal and the Women's Champions League, Champions League, excuse me. I believe that was 2014 and 2015. So he's certainly got the caliber and credentials. Uh, in 2017, he was appointed Ireland's national team manager of the women's side. He briefly coached uh, Huddersfield on their men's team before in 2019 taking the career job. He became the first ever manager to guide South Korea to the final of Women's Asian Cup, the aforementioned final they lost to China, but which qualified them for this tournament. Now, in terms of the tactics, I'm going to use my 
best guess as what he's going to do in this one. Generally, I th- what I think is going to happen, it's going to be a, a, a back three, a three, four, two, one, or a three, four, one, two. Um, kind of side that's geared towards defending in numbers, back five, being pretty defensively sound is this team, but also at the same time, quite fluid and direct when they have the ball in attack as well. Now, I say I'm going to have to guess because in the most recent series of friendlies, some of which happened against a popular copper importer or uh, producer, I should say. Columbia? Yep. Well, one of the others. One of the others (laughs) it was. Um, They did a back four. They did a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 in certain possessions as well. But I suspect they're going to go with the back three here with a double pivot because of the calibre of the competition and the nature of the opposition they're going to be facing. Uh, They've got a couple of good left and right wing backs who suit that shape. They've got Selji Yang and Chu Hoi-Joo, who are very good on the left and right respectively. Chu is 22 years old, plenty of pace on that right wing. And Jang is uh, 29, no slouch either. I'm going to compare this, Grant, to Liverpool. Pass and move is the Liverpool groove, or it certainly was in the late 80s. It's also the Korea groove. Very much a direct style of play. One or two touches before they move the ball on. And also what I like, Graham, is a, a, another touch of 80s and 90s. Centre-backs often hoofing it long, bypassing the midfield to break those lines at the front. Have it. Have it. That's why I like to see. That's why I like this team. That's why I think they're going to go through uh, and potentially get second place in this group. Although... I don't know. Maybe they won't. Maybe Morocco will do that as well. Who's to know? Graham, why don't you tell us about Colombia? So Nelson Abadia is the current head coach of the Colombian national team. He's been in that job since 2017. So while that obviously makes him quite experienced in this role, this will be his first uh, World Cup as a as a manager. He was at the 2015 World Cup, though, as part of the coaching staff. He was an assistant before being promoted to the main job. And Abadia is actually the head coach at all youth levels as well for Colombia. So the idea is that Colombia want a unified common identity all the way through their, their national team program and having Abadia as the, the single head coach I'd imagine probably helps them achieve that. Uh, Abadia has been really big on picking players who are in the best club form rather than players with the biggest reputations. Although, and I'll come on to omissions later on, I couldn't find any like big names that aren't included in this squad. So that's either really uh, fortunate that they are in good club form or he's uh, talking a big game and not really following through with his selections. But nonetheless, it's a, it's an interesting squad. Tactically, Abadia favours a 4-3-1 shape. They play a very high-energy style of football. They score a lot of goals. They also concede a lot of goals, and that's a big part of why I'm excite- I am excited about watching this team at this World Cup. It's a, it's a live-by-the-sword, die-by-the-sword approach. They, uh, they try to win the ball back as quickly as they can by pressing and counter-pressing, and then when they have the ball, they move it quickly, they can be direct. It's, it's pretty high-octane stuff, and that could make them one of the most entertaining teams to watch at this World Cup. They want to get in behind the opposition defence using as few passes or attacking actions as possible. Um, as I mentioned, they can be direct. They, they are quite a direct team because they don't really appear to have the technical ability in the middle of the pitch to build up using the ball. In fact, it is quite common for Colombia to, to lose possession 
and that then puts them in a difficult position in a, in a defensive sense. So rather than trying to pass through opponents, they will often bypass the midfield. They'll play into the centre forward and play from there, or, or they'll find find the wide areas and get forward that way, or they'll just kind of like clip it in behind and gamble on on getting into the the space first ahead of the the opposition defence if the space is there. I said earlier that Colombia will press high. They will uh, they will counter press. Yeah, and and and, and that is certainly true. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're very good at it. Um, there's a lot of energy and hard running and effort, but Colombia don't seem to have much of a structure when it comes to pressing out of possession. So if they come up against a team with the ability to play through and be press resistant, that is a problem for them. And that's what happened in the friendly against France a few months ago when Colombia conceded five and France honestly could have scored more than five. So they can be left very open. There can be big gaps for opponents to exploit. So basically, my summary, my TLDR here is often dangerous in attack, often vulnerable in defence, and pretty much always entertaining from a neutral point of view. So I can't imagine being a Columbia fan is very good for your blood pressure, but it'll be good for me as a neutral. Uh, I have a question for Graham and the group as a whole. I feel like I don't think it's been like laziness or any stretch of that, that like a lot of our previews have those same sort of like possession isn't always great. They sometimes go long. They look for like the main target striker. I feel like that is pretty par for the course. It has me wondering, I think the my expectation initially with an expanded, uh, like an additionally expanded World Cup to 32 was going to be maybe like that bridge too far for some teams. And we were going to get, I think the initial thought would be a lot of like, you know, 12 mil wins as we got teams qualifying. And I think we are going to get some some fairly bad beatings in this. My, my, I guess, larger question is, do you all have expectations for what the overall quality is going to look like? Because... I think what I've landed on is that it's going to be a lot of teams playing similar styles and sort of like hoofing it long, reestablishing possession, then trying to hoof it long yourself. And then that other team collects the ball. And I feel like it's going to be a lot of same, same. I'm starting to think this is going to be a more low scoring, sort of dull competition, more so than huge landslide victories being the consistent theme. I, I don't necessarily agree. No, I, I don't know for sure, but I mm-hmm. would lean I mean, towards, neither do I. I would yeah. lean towards there still being lots of goals and lots of fun parts about this competition. None of the research that we've done has really pushed me away from that. What mm-hmm. I will say is international soccer has a justified reputation for being worse than club <laughs> soccer, right? Because <laughs> true. True, true, let's true, think true. about reasons why the players are never in camp. And realistically, on the women's game, there are fewer resources available as well. So that makes a lot of those things more difficult. Um, So you have that side of things. I also think my impression of a lot of coaches that are going to be coaching at this competition is that they're not very good. Like that's my opinion, at least from doing research along the way. It is rare that you find a team that has like a clear identity that fits the player pool that then lets them go out there and exercise some sort of Hmm. advantage on their opponents. And I, I think the U.S. is always a good example of that in my mind. The fact that it's not really a thing and the U.S. have more resources than anyone. And we don't really see them execute particularly well on the tactical side. There are teams that do a good job and have at least a clear way of playing and have player buy-in. But I think at the international level, regardless of whether we're talking about the men's world cup or the women's world cup, that's already way lower than it is at the club level. And in in this women's world cup between the expansion and the lack of resources and, and maybe people that just aren't super good at their jobs. I think that does ding it. And we could end up seeing a lot of, like combative games in midfield where it's like, all right, could we maybe settle a little bit and pass the ball around? Mm. I I don't know how much of that really we're going to see 
I think it will be kind of at times two buses crashing into each other, which yeah. I mean has its own payoffs and, and entertainment value as well. I certainly agree with Joe that to compare it to the men's game, I would say the dynamic is very similar. Yeah. In that I often think we spoke about this fairly recently. I can't remember what episode it was on, but we have frequently spoken about how much of a difference maker a world-class number nine is, but also someone that can control, this was the point we made recently, someone that can play through and play progressive passes in midfield. And I think of the teams that we've looked at so far, and certainly the teams that I have previewed personally, that is that seems to be a common thread. Teams that have those players. So I, I think of like Sweden, the team I've just previewed uh, yesterday, um, the Netherlands have those players. Lena Oberdorf with Germany, uh, Joe's favourite, has that player. Like England have that player with Kira Walsh, and like that's the biggest. Spain obviously have a load of those players. Bomati, that that's like the biggest mm -hmm. difference. And if you have one of those players, then maybe you are like a tier one or tier two team. And then the rest is kind of just figuring out how to maximise what you have. And that, as Joe mentions, lack of resources, lack of time, often means you go pretty rudimental with your with your approach. So, and as I say, I think that's fairly common with the men's game. Excellent no, stuff. That's all really good, that's all really good thoughts. Yeah. yeah, that's really really good discussion there. Thank you very much, guys. Although, Joe, attacking people who aren't very good at their jobs, uh, as someone who's not very good at his job, I feel personally attacked. But we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll glaze over that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at some of the key players from this group, and we're going to give our very specific predictions back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are previewing 2023 World Cup Group H. You knew that. You're quite aware to this episode by this point. Why don't we talk about some of the key players on the Moroccan side, Taylor Rockwell. No one knew who I was going to throw to then, and it went to Taylor. Whee! I didn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I I think he did not. Uh, But I am excited to talk about Morocco's players. Again, they sort of tell you a bit about the program. Starting with Khadija Eremichi, the second oldest player on the team at the age of 33. She is their goalkeeper. Here is a quick summary of her. Uh, Eremichi is considered, it's it's E-R-R-M-I-C-H-I, so might be butchering that one. Uh, She's considered the most successful player in the history of Morocco and Africa, winning 13 Moroccan championships, 10 throne cups, and the Africa Champions League. Despite all that, she has made... 10 caps for the national team, uh, made her debut in 2018. Again, not a lot of funding prior to Morocco deciding they're going to take this a bit more seriously. Uh, similarly, Ghislaine Chabak, 32-year-old captain of Morocco. She's their all-time leader in both appearances and goals. The numbers there would be 56 appearances and 21 goals. That's their all-time leader. Uh, I think, like, we were talking about Italy. I think Italy have players that are, like, in the 180s or thereabouts. And then, obviously, Christine Sinclair has, like, 300-plus appearances. So it shows you the relative recency or newness of this program. She now plays for the uh, for ASFAR, A-S-F-A-R, in Morocco. She's one of seven players on this roster who plays there. They've won the league ten times and the Champions League once in Africa. Uh, Chabak has very good distribution with her feet. Uh, she's usually going to be one of the midfield two, playing a bit deeper. She makes good decisions and knows when she can do something special. Basically, she doesn't try to take people on every single time. She's not trying to slalom through or force passes. She will play very simple. She will connect uh, passes. She will connect the lines, but then every now and then will go for the million dollar pass and oftentimes pulls it out, I think, because she waits until she's spotted the right opportunity. Uh, so she was one that I thought was really worth talking about. A couple other ones uh, would be Rosel Ayani. I've mentioned her a few different times in this show, 27 year old forward uh, for Tottenham. Born in Reading to a Moroccan dad and a Scottish mom. So England, Scotland, we ticked two TSS uh, co-host boxes right away. From that point, I did work way too hard to try to find some connection to Arizona. I was looking (laughs) at colleges. I was looking at parents. I could not find anything. So sadly, Joe, you remain not involved in the Morocco team. Uh, But, you know, since you're backing Zambia, I guess that's fine. Uh, Ayani has nine goals and 21 appearances since making her debut for Morocco in 2021. She was the... Uh, in qualifying at, in the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, she was the joint top scorer. She is silky on the ball. Like, like Dimitar Berbatov, sort of silky. Um, really magnetic first touch. The ball sticks to her foot, even if it's like pinged at her, even if it's 40 yards in the air and she's bringing it down. She controls it so well. And then like just like very silkily dribbles out of pressure is is very good at keeping the ball close has really tight control and then lots of little touches to evade a defender and then play the ball wide or carried into space 
Uh, good finisher from tight angles, really critical in facilitating attacking play. Will drop in, uh, play the ball out wide, or link up with the midfield and then make runs in. And of course, hit the winning penalty uh, against Nigeria that took them to the Cup of Nations final. And then one maybe lesser known or likely to be lesser known uh, player that I wanted to spotlight was Nesreen El Chad. Uh, she is 20 years old. She just turned 20. Uh, she will probably not start. Their center backs are pretty well set, but she is a center back who uh, tends to make substitute appearances. He's only 20 years old, like I said, but born in Lille, uh, or excuse me, born in Saint-Étienne, played for Saint-Étienne, now plays for Lille, uh, moving there after the World Cup. She buried her penalty to the top corner versus Nigeria. Uh, but she is, I think, representative of that sort of younger next generation where she's already playing uh, in France at, at the top flight level. She's already making appearances from Morocco and yet is very, very young. And I have a feeling that even if she doesn't play in this World Cup, she's one who, as we go forward, will be a mainstay in this Morocco team for World Cups to come. So they have a few other players like that, but she was the one that I think uh, I wanted to spotlight the most in that regard. I'll talk about a couple other players maybe uh, when we get to the specific predictions, but there there is quality across the board from Morocco. I mentioned to her earlier, but uh, but the, the right back who's going to get involved in the attack, uh, Zineb Redwani, is... Very, very capable of bombing forward, getting involved, overlapping, underlapping, and I think she's a critical part of the attack as well. So expect their fullback to be a a heavy attacking presence for Morocco in this World Cup. Wonderful stuff, Taylor. Moroccan roll, baby, you could say. Been thinking about that one for a while. <laughs> if um, you must. I will quickly run through some of the key players on South Korea, and I'm going to sound the U.S. interest klaxon. <laughs> 16-year-old striker Casey Fair is on the South Korean squad for this one, born and raised in New Jersey. And as we all know, New Jersey is also a state and union along with Arizona. So there's our link there. Um, <laughs> Casey Fair has a South Korean mother. Um, she's the first player of mixed heritage to represent South Korea in the top women's or men's national soccer teams. She's also the youngest at 16 years old. Quite a few 16-year-olds in this tournament we are learning as well. Uh, Colin Bell, the aforementioned coach, says her inclusion is not a development project. It is, uh, well, I think we can infer from that she might get some minutes in this one, but she's not got minutes for the national team just yet. Most of the Korean players are based in Korea playing their domestic game there, but there's a few uh, we might recognise. Midfielder Lee Gwon Min, who's at Brighton, formerly at Manchester City, who plays, who also plays an attack, who, who might be competing with Casey Fair in theory. Uh, we've got midfielder Cho Soo-hyun, who's at Tottenham Hotspur, and defender Lee Jong-ju, who's at Madrid CCF, who we mentioned previously as the... Uh, incredibly stacked but not Real Madrid affiliated Madrid team uh, which we have mentioned on a previous episode. The attacking threat most likely coming from Jisoo Yun, formerly of Chelsea, who's now playing her soccer domestically and the aforementioned league women and Cho Soi Hyun of Brighton and Spurs respectively. G and Cho are 35 and 32 years old so there's the feeling that this could be their World Cup swan song, the last outing for them, going to um, hopefully have an impact in that respect. And Cho, Lee, and G, those three players, are ostensibly the three star players of this Korean side. And I think the starriest of those stars is Ji So Yun, uh, formerly of Chelsea, as I mentioned, the star player here. Record goal scorer for the national team, 67 goals in 145 appearances. Uh, a speciality she has is in line breaking passes. She's got excellent vision. More on that in my VSP coming very shortly. Hmm. Who wants to go next with their key players? Hands up. Anybody? 
ooh, ooh. Joe, put his hand up. Graham go does. Joe. Okay, yeah, I'll go. Um, <laughs> Lena Oberdorf, I've mentioned several times right now, a little bit of more background on her. 20-year-old, 21-year-old, excuse me, defensive midfielder, plays for Wolfsburg. She is in the peak Juilliard's tier of defensive midfielders. That's maybe the best way I can describe her. Strong, fast, above average on the ball. Over the last year, she finished in the 99th percentile in tackles among central midfielders in the top eight women's competitions around the world, according to FB Ref. 99th percentile per 90 minutes in tackles in that group of players. 99th percentile in blocks. 85th percentile in aerials one. She reads the game really well, checks her shoulders to figure out what's going on around her in every phase. We talk a lot about players doing that in possession, right? If, if Taylor's you know deep down in midfield and he's going to receive the ball, he wants to look around and figure out where the pressure is so he knows where to take his first touch. We think about that in possession as Taylor is looking around sort of he's demonstrating. Dog, dog-like is, is what it looks like. Taylor, thank you for, huh? for going along. Tyler uh, Adams? Oh, <laughs> Oberdorf does this not just in possession, but she does it out of possession as well to really figure out what the picture is of the game and get in as much information as possible to then go and make the right challenge or to shift two feet this way or three feet that way. She can sweep up counters. She can win headers in the box. She can win headers anywhere. She makes physical challenges. She can progress the ball too, likes to hit long diagonals. She's not Puteas on the ball here. Like I don't think her possession play is really an obvious strength, but like I said earlier, she's above average at a lot of that stuff in possession. She's just always around the ball. And she's so crazy good that that's a really, really good thing for Germany. So that's Lena Oberdorf. You can't miss her when you watch Germany play. Sarah Dobritz is another player worth watching. 28-year-old central midfielder for Lyon, often on the left side of midfield, of central midfield for Germany. So I mentioned it as either a 4-2-3-1 or kind of a 4-3-3. Dobritz will be a little bit lower on the left side. And Lena Magol, 28-year-old midfielder for Bayern Munich, will be a little higher on the right side. So Dobritz has good vision. Good passing range on that left side, can drop deeper to help Overdorf, or can crash the box to add another number in the attack. And Magol, on the right side of central midfield, likes to push high, as I mentioned, takes up more advanced positions. Not like a, a classic number 10. She's not really a through ball threader, but she can do some things on the ball. She's dangerous in those moments, but she really likes to drive forward on the dribble and combine in the final third, those quick little passes and she adds an advantage for Germany with her movement. So that's Dobritz and Magol. You'll see her most like you'll see both of them most likely in midfield with Lena Oberdorf. Alexander Pop is a player that I mentioned already. 32-year-old striker for Wolfsburg. She's the captain of this team, a classic goal-scoring striker in basically every sense of the word. 16 goals and 5 assists in 1400 Bundesliga minutes this past season. Really good spatial awareness, finds gaps in the box, can finish with a toenail if she has to. Like she just so darn good at everything. There are a lot of good strikers at this World Cup, like a, a lot of them, but she is among the best. Pop is, is the real deal. She's certainly one that's going to give opposing defenses in the group stage and out of it a lot of challenges. A young player to watch that I want to highlight. This is really the last player that I will highlight, although there are, are other things worth noting about Germany that I'll get to shortly. A young player to watch is Jewel Brandt, 20-year-old winger for Wolfsburg, Really impressively far along in her career for such a young player. 30 caps for Germany already and has a very real chance to start at this World Cup. Moved from Hoffenheim to Wolfsburg ahead of this past season. Played about 900 minutes for Wolfsburg. Seven combined goals and assists. She's a tall, lanky winger. Five foot ten. That height in, in her stride helps her break away from defenders in the open field. But she's also quick and decisive in tight spaces. It's not like... Uh, what's the animal that like isn't super coordinated? Is it the deer that has these human. long legs? But uh, the human, not like a human, but like a really skillful soccer player in tight spots and how she can go and do all of these different things. Quick touches, 
with a right foot especially to set up that chance to then go and burst forward with, with the long stride. Good on the dribble, can beat players 1v1, and even though she is right-footed, as I mentioned there, she can deliver a really good left-footed cross and has played a decent amount on that left side for Germany. Makes her unpredictable, right? She can cut in on her right foot, she can tuck into midfield a little bit, or she can burst down the line and, and play sort of a cutback with that left foot. She's a fantastic player, genuinely, and, and she's going to be around for many, many World Cups in the future. The, the one thing I wanted to note on Germany is they've had a couple of either starters or rotation pieces in their back line go down with injuries recently. And it's a little difficult to tell how much that's going to impact things, but that is something to be aware of is Germany, again, they've struggled a little bit in their last three games for results, and they're dealing with a couple of absences in that part of the field. Just something for us to keep our eyes on, but man, a lot of the attention for Germany is going to be in the midfield and in that forward line. Ganz gut, danke, Josef. Last but not least, Graham, bit about Colombia, please, and the key players. So I'm going to start with Linda Caicedo as a key player for yes. Colombia, despite the fact that she's only 18 years old. So she's just got herself a move to Real Madrid, not Madrid CFF, the real ones or the fake ones, or I, I don't know, the, the other ones, basically. The pro, the pro Evo ones, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The non-Pro Evo ones. She's playing FIFA or EFs, EF, EF. Oh, I can't even say them. What's the new name oh, of boy. the new FIFA? EA oh, Sports no. FC. Yeah. We've gone off the rails here. Oh, anyway, no. Linda Caicedo. She's We've good, gone right? off the rails? <laughs> I've gone off the rails. It's the last one, and it's the last segment. Caicedo was the player of the tournament at the uh, Copa America last year, where she scored in the semifinal win over Argentina, which was a huge deal for Colombia and a real breakthrough moment for her but also for the, the national team as a whole. She is a, a difference maker for this Columbia team. She is lightning fast. She's got exceptional technical ability. She carries a goal threat. She will likely play on the left side of this Columbia attack, and she can be absolutely electric at her best. She's She could be one of the breakout players of this World Cup, just as she was one of the breakout players of the Copa America last year. Um, Mera Ramirez will probably be the, the number nine in this team, and her physicality, both in terms of Hold-up play, but also running in behind is really important to the way Colombia play. She gives them that option to either go um, direct into body or in behind for her to try and get into space. Catalina Uzme will probably play in the number 10 position, um, although uh, Likis Santos will be another good option in this position for Colombia. Uzme has been a mainstay of this Colombia team for a long, long time. She is the the, the creative hub and is frequently, frequently the one that plays the, the pass in behind that gets Colombia turned and gets uh, Ramirez, who I just mentioned there, into the area and in, in on goal. So she is a, a very important player. That's such a key focus of Colombia's game, playing that ball into the attackers. Um, and Uzme is also the player who takes the majority of Colombia's set pieces, which is also another focus of how they score goals and she's an excellent striker of the ball and that can make her dangerous from pretty much any area of the pitch whether that's with a delivery or a shot she is very important to this team Daniela Montoya will be one half of the midfield double pivot in this team uh, like Uzme she's been in this team for a long time she actually scored Colombia's first ever goal at a World Cup all the way back in 2011 so she's been doing this for a while she is the captain of this team and her role is to provide structure and, and get her foot on the ball. The problem is Montoya doesn't always have a lot of help in that regard. And there are times when I've seen matches, she can be overwhelmed. If you get numbers around her, she uh, she can struggle. I think any player would struggle in that situation. The problem is really the structure around her isn't always in place. At the back, um, Daniela Arias and uh, Jorilin Carabaya 
have become the first choice centre back pairing for Colombia, and then at left back it will be Manuela Venegas um, at left back, and then at right back you have Monica Ramos, who can also play as a right winger, very attack minded. So Colombia will want to get Ramos high up the pitch, even if she is a right back, if she if she plays that position over being a right winger, her role is kind of the the same in this team. It's an attack minded role, um, although Daniela uh, Caracas could also be an option in that position. In terms of omissions, uh, Catherine Tapia will be a big miss for Colombia. She was so important uh, as the first choice goalkeeper at the Copa America last year, but she su- suffered an injury not so long ago. So Catarina Perez will start in Tapia's place. And that's the only real significant omission, at least in terms of, of any potential starters for Colombia. Just to recap what I've, I've kind of said already in my preview, I'm looking forward to watching them play. They're a bit wild. They do have quality. They are set up to attack first and foremost. That's always fun. I'm not so convinced about their defensive structure. So they're going to be must-watch events for neutrals, I think, at this World Cup. Marvellous stuff. Thank you very much, Graham. One thing left to do on this episode, that's the very specific predictions. Graham, why don't we come back to you with yours? Let me just find that very quickly, Ryan. Catching me off guard here. It really is coming off the rails for me here. Here we go. My <laughs> VSP for Colombia is that their group stage matches will rank in the top three at this tournament for the most total goals. They're going to score goals. They're going to concede. Again, this is a very common theme for me throughout this preview. And they're going to score goals. They're going to concede them. I expect that they will be up there with Joe's Chaos Merchants, Zambia in the group stage. So yeah, I think they will be in the top three for most goals involved in their total goals in their games in the group stage. I like it. Thank you very much, Graham. My very specific prediction for South Korea, by the way, is probably one of my most specific predictions that I'm going to make. Uh, the aforementioned Ji So-yun, uh, I believe, will make the most line-breaking passes of the tournament. Something I mentioned was a speciality of hers earlier. Uh, I'm going to refer to an Opta stat that says during the 2019 Women's World Cup, Ji made nine passes that broke through the opponent's defensive line and six that broke through a line and found a teammate in the penalty area. That was more line-breaking passes than any other player at the tournament, even though Korea scored one goal and lost all their games so I think that's a pretty good statistic given I think their performance should be a little bit better in this one so I'm backing the form of the last tournament for G there more line breaking passes than anyone else at this tournament Joe what say you about that huh huh impressed I like it. yeah I like line breaking passes I like up the stats I like all that stuff absolutely excellent thank you how about your VSP sir all right I am going back to the well that never runs dry in Lena Oberdorf She'll have more tackles per 90 than any other player at this tournament. Again, just so integral to how they play. Lets them play up-tempo soccer. Lets them be a bit more direct, sweeping up things in midfield. She's amazing. I can't wait to watch her. And and I'm very, honestly, excited about this German team as well. Lots to like and also some things that could go wrong. I am here for a bit of chaos for Germany. Excellent. Aren't we all, Joe? Taylor, your VSP, please. Uh, sure. I have a VSP. I have also one that I'm not counting, but I did want to just mention Salma Amani. Uh, she's a 33 year old, more attacking midfielder for them. Uh, in the games that I saw, she gets knocked down a lot. A lot of that is because she's on the ball and trying to make things happen. But my initial prediction was going to be she'll be knocked down three times in a game. Uh, but that, that that didn't feel like fun enough. Uh, but she will. She's like a, a battling midfielder. So she'll be all action. She'll probably get some cards. Chumba Wumba well. style, Taylor, do you mean? exactly she gets yeah. knocked down and she gets back up again nice. you're never going to keep her down exactly yes i'm with you uh wow. what i will say is that in terms of goal scoring 
I don't know how much of that there's going to be for Morocco. So they've, in their last nine games, they've scored five goals, which isn't that bad, until you look at those nine games for a moment. After that loss to South Africa, the 2-1 loss to South Africa, uh, they, so they had nine games, 4-0 uh, loss to Poland, 4-0 loss to Canada, 4-0 loss to Ireland, 3-0 win over Slovakia, there we go, 2-0 win over Bosnia, and then 2-0 loss to uh, Czechia, 1-0 loss to Romania, 0-0 with Italy, 0-0 with Switzerland. So, trending in the right direction in terms of drawing against World Cup caliber competition, at the same time, not scoring a ton of goals except against weaker opposition. So maybe that means they're going to get some goals against Colombia. If they get goals, my very specific prediction, vague as it sort of is, is that Rosel Ayani will be involved in a goal for Morocco. Now, that means she might score it herself. That is a distinct possibility. But I wanted to make a prediction that sort of highlights everything she does. And she can score goals. She seems like the most clinical finisher on this team. Uh, she could get an assist via like one of those like just little cutbacks, the FIFA goal, if you will, because she'll draw attention and then she'll just look to square for somebody who's wide open. Or she will get she won't get credit for it. She won't get like the official assist, but it will be her controlling a ball under pressure, playing out of that pressure, and then threading the needle for somebody to then play a ball in for the goal. So it's like the MLS assist. She won't get the credit, but that goal will develop because of her. So one way or the other, she will be involved in at least one goal for Morocco in this tournament. Marvellous stuff, Taylor. Thank you very much indeed. I've got to say, boys, I'm pretty excited about this group now. I like that Me we've too. got the quality of Germany. I like that we've got this potential battle with Morocco and South Korea for the second and third place with their respective qualities. I like the chaos that Colombia are apparently going to bring as well, Graham. So very excited about this one. This one will, as we mentioned at the top, uh, be facing Group F when it comes to the knockout round. So maybe France or Brazil to face a Germany or a Morocco or a Colombia or a South Korea. That's a pretty good round of 16 as well. Exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Let's end it there. Thank you very much, uh, listener, for joining us on this one. We're going to be previewing the... Uh, we're going to be covering, I should say, the World Cup uh, to its fullest extent. Um, we're going to have to do an episode on both Oppenheimer and Barbie, which come out, obviously, the day after the World Cup launches as well. Joe's going to be leading that. Uh, but in the meantime, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for all of your wonderful, wonderful preview work. Uh, thank you, my friend. Uh, I'm excited to see both of those movies. I'm not gonna lie. I'm actually considering like doing the the back to back uh, situation with those. But which Have one do you see? That, that that's got to be like cinematic whiplash between those <laughs> yeah. two films. Have you seen the IMAX like film canister yeah. that looks yeah. like a, a dining room so, table? <laughs> like, so yeah. IMAX had to create like a new size of film for Christopher Nolan to film. Oh, yes. Very Christopher Nolan, of course. I, I did also enjoy the the joke that went the, went like did the rounds a couple of weeks ago that was like I guess they made a like a Barbie dream house as a promotional yeah. thing. Like I forget it. where it was. And then and then the joke about like now is a unique time for Oppenheimer to have their own viral <laughs> moments. <Yes. laughs> like maybe a different way. Indeed. An explosive way indeed. Uh Joseph Lowry, thank you very much for joining us. Which one are you gonna do first, Barbie or Oppenheimer, Joe? Be honest. Um uh first, yikes, probably Barbie sometime in the year 2028. I don't know. We'll see when I get around to it. Well, if you watch Oppenheimer first, you won't get to Barbie until 2028 because he does long <laughs> films. Uh, there, there you go. Graham, thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to both those movies as well. I don't know why I'm finishing talking about movies on a soccer podcast, but here we are. 
Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I am looking forward to both those movies. I go most weeks to the cinema. Most films are bad. Those two look good. They do indeed. Looking forward to those. Looking forward to this here World Cup. Listener, let us know what you think. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to join the conversation. We have a wonderful Discord community there. It's just wonderful. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us on these group previews. Once again, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.